Hi, you are listening to the Conflict and Development in Africa podcast. This podcast is for policymakers, governments, researchers, students, businesses, and anyone that is interested in conflict and development issues in Africa. On this podcast, we hear from experts from across Africa and the world. Your host, Dr. Michael Wangpa, will ask the questions you would want answers to. Michael Wangpa has an extensive experience spanning over a decade studying, researching, writing and consulting on conflict and development issues in Africa. another episode of the Conflict and Development in Africa podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Michael Wangwa. Today I'm joined by a very important guest, uh, James Barnett. Uh, James is a research fellow at the Houston Institute. Uh, James specializes in African security and geopolitics. Uh, he's got uh, extensive feedwork experience uh, in conflict environments, especially in Nigeria, but also uh, in Somalia, um, South Sudan, and, and, and other places. Uh, James is um, also the editor of Houston Institute uh, Biannual um, Journal, Current Trends in Islamist um, Ideology, and he's currently uh, a doctorate student um, at the University of um, Oxford. Um, James, um, I'm so pleased to, uh, to have you with us today, and I look forward um, to our discussion. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate the invitation. Good. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing recent um, events in Somaliland. And but first, I, I, I think we, we, we need we, we need to start off by saying uh, by asking what what is Somaliland? Can can you you know tell our listener uh, you know so Somaliland? What what, what is, where is Somaliland located? Where is Somaliland? Is it the same as Somalia? What, what is Somaliland? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Uh, well, I guess the question is: Is it the same as Somalia? Is uh, uh, you know, uh, depends who you ask in the region, and it's now a very relevant and very sensitive issue, and kind of at the heart of some uh, emerging kind of geopolitical fault lines in the region. Um, so, Somaliland is a is a de facto independent state um, <clears throat> that. Uh, to date has not been internationally recognized anyone, by anyone, but it essentially covers, uh, based on the borders that the Somaliland state claims, it covers roughly a third of the total Somali territory, uh, and particularly the northern arm that's kind of um, lies adjacent to the, the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea, um, yeah, for those who are familiar with, with Somali geography. And Somaliland was, in the colonial era, the, the kind of traditional lands inhabited by the Somali people, who are a very kind of widely dispersed uh, kind of ethnic and, and national group. Um, the lands that were uh, inhabited by the Somali people were uh, colonized by different powers, by the French, by the British, the Italians, the Ethiopians, um, you know, in, in, in what is today modern Eastern Ethiopia. And so the, the part of the Somali territories that the British colonized um, was, was referred to as British Somaliland. And then in 1960, achieved independence uh, very briefly as its own independent state before joining into a union with uh, the uh, rest of southern Somalia. Uh, to form the, the what is today the internationally recognized uh, Republic of Somalia, <clears throat> or the um, the state of Somalia. So Somaliland, though, uh, for those who are kind of you know familiar with the history of the Horn of Africa, um, Somalia really kind of descended into a very intense civil war in starting in the late 1980s um, with kind of the the rebel movements and uh, kind of falling along different clan and regional lines within the country. Um, and so there was one particular movement from the Isak clan, which is very popular and are, are uh, predominant up in northern Somalia. Uh, that's the territory of Somaliland. Um, that was called the Somali National Movement, or SNM. And so this group uh, was among many others that were fighting against the dictator, uh, Mohamed Siad Barre, 
who was uh, employing kind of very uh, indiscriminate uh, kind of quasi-genocidal tactics against certain clans in the country, including the Isak in the north. So when Siad Bari was eventually overthrown in 1991, the Isak clan and the people of um, uh, the, that kind of British Somaliland, the former colony of British Somaliland, the former independent state, short-lived independent state of Somaliland, uh, kind of re uh, redeclared their independence from the, the broader uh, kind of state of Somalia. Um, this was a unilateral decision, though, so it was never recognized by any subsequent Somali government or any uh, international actors. Um, the, however, because of the nature of the Somali civil war and the fact that the Somali government uh, after Siad Barre for, for many years really was, was non-existent, it only existed on paper. And even today in 2024, the Somali government is still uh, quite weak and, and struggling to kind of consolidate or expand its influence in many, in most parts of the country. But so what you, what had happened in, in Somalia since 1991 was you had a bunch of different kind of uh, local political entities um, forming up generally along clan lines and stuff and establishing de facto authority, de facto administration, while the central government, the federal government was, uh, again, you know, largely kind of a figment of, of uh, imagination that existed. It was either, you know, it was based in exile until 2006, then it was in a very nascent form until 2012. And even over the past 12 years, the federal government, as I said, has still been kind of getting built up. But among these different kind of local forms of administration, um, the, the the Republic of Somaliland uh, became the one that was, um, uh, of all those different kind of groups, it, it achieved the strongest kind of de facto authority, de facto control, um, and, and really built up kind of state institutions. So by the early 2000s, you could say that uh, Somaliland was kind of a de facto independent state. Uh, again, it had, it had achieved its independence or claimed its independence from the rest of Somalia, and very crucially, it used as its kind of legal context the fact that it had been an independent state for uh, five days in 1960 before joining into that union with, with Somalia. <clears throat> Um, so it, it, it claimed, you know, based on that precedent, that this is not just a unilateral secession, that there had been a union that had involved the two parties agreeing to, you know, form a, an independent nation, um, you know, an independent nation state. Uh, but then one of those parties was withdrawing because, uh, you know, of the, the very, uh, the, that failed experiment, if you will. So ever since then, Somaliland has been achieving or, or been kind of claiming independence. Um, but it's been uh, an issue that the uh, international community led largely, and sorry, I, I use that term kind of, uh, I'm not actually a big fan of that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, I mean, the various actors that would kind of, you know, the, the, the other countries that are engaged and involved in the Horn of Africa that would take kind of a, a strong position on this, um, but kind of largely for uh, reasons related to kind of concerns from other African states. So, uh, you know, the, the 54 nations or 53 other nations that comprise the um, African Union and such, um, you know, of course, because of the the strong secessionist and separatist tendencies in a lot of African countries and because of the, the way in which uh, borders were drawn during the colonial era, there's a lot of apprehension among a lot of other African countries about recognizing a breakaway region, even if it has achieved de facto uh, independence and sovereignty. So for the past, uh, you know, for the past few years, there's kind of been this, you know, Somaliland on paper uh, in, in the eyes of the so-called international community is part of Somalia, but in effect, it's been its own country. And uh, up until relatively recently, it's also been uh, it kind of had much more stability than the rest of Somalia. And we can talk a bit more about that because that's where some of my recent research has been. Um, but so, you know, in recent years, Somaliland has started kind of becoming more competent and trying to make a stronger case for countries to recognize its independence. Uh, because again, it's now been, you know, 30, 30 plus years since they've declared this uh, kind of the separation from Somalia. And in recent years, uh, really since the early 2000s, they've been building up their own governments, they print their own currency, you know, they they have been holding uh, regular elections, though those have now been delayed, which is one source of some of the current internal issues the country's facing. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, uh, as I assume you'll, you'll, you know, kind of want to discuss a bit, the this question of um, whether or not to recognize Somaliland is something that has not been you know, a major, uh, I'd say, kind of like political flashpoint for a lot of international actors uh, in, in recent years. It's been, you know, something that, um, you know, for example, in the U.S. Uh, government, the kind of State Department is kind of runs on autopilot and our view as well, okay, you know, we recognize Somalia, that's our policy. 
Um, so we're just, we, you know, we, the U.S. kind of doesn't really like to comment on this stuff, even though it recognizes that these are two de facto independent entities. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, this has all been thrown into uh, kind of uh, into the spotlight recently because of this memorandum of understanding that was signed on January 1st between Ethiopian President uh, Abiy Ahmed and then um, the uh, uh, Somaliland President Musabihi which uh, reportedly supposedly contains uh, a promise from Ethiopia to recognize Somaliland um, and become the first international country to recognize Somaliland in return for Somaliland granting Ethiopia port access. The whole thing is a bit confused by the fact that uh, we don't we haven't seen the text of the MOU. Ethiopia has kind of given a slightly different narrative about what's happened. Um, but yeah, that's uh, to just kind of very quickly bring us oh, up that's, from, that, you know, that, that's a that's a very comprehensive summary uh very yeah, very comprehensive it's not easy to to um put a long history in in that in, in this very show but you've done excellently well with that and so many things you've said but let me let me start from from the irony or the paradox uh between uh somalia itself that we've seen mm-hmm. in the last how many years at one point it didn't have a government and we were talking about the recognized Somalian state. Uh, and then mm-hmm. we, we talk about issues of Al-Shabaab. It's been bedeviled with insecurity. Then we talk about uh, the the Fatuland, uh, Somaliland, Republic of Somaliland, that is not recognized, you know, having enjoyed the stability and this, you know, what you call a, a res- relatively uh, level of democracy in terms of elections, in terms of having institutions. Uh, how do we see this irony and talking about how a state that is unstable with all of these security or you know issues being the one that is recognized and the one that is that has shown this kind of stability not being recognized and then uh, at the yeah, back well, of, at the back of okay go on as you can answer this i'll come back to what i was going to say okay yeah i mean it's well I guess there, there are kind of two different questions, right? How, what explains the relative stability of Somaliland as opposed to Somalia over the past three decades? Though, again, I think since last year, Somaliland has really been experiencing some some serious internal crises. So that's, mm-hmm. um, maybe we can discuss after. But um, so that's one question. The other question is, is how to explain the kind of issue of recognition. I think in terms of the issue of recognition, it's been essentially, um, it's been partially just the fact that there's no single country that has felt kind of so forcefully about um, the need to recognize Somaliland or had it in their interest uh, to such an extent that they would become the first to do so and therefore establish that precedent. That's one reason why the Somali government, I think, is very uh, concerned about this MOU with Ethiopia. There, are, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that it's very sensitive and polarizing, but one reason is that I think that um, you know, uh, if if one country, you know, if a big country like Ethiopia, which is obviously a, a heavyweight kind of regional player, were to recognize Somaliland, maybe others would follow suit. Maybe not, you know, because of, I mean, Ethiopia's foreign policy has alienated a lot of its neighbors in recent years. So there's a whole uh, kind of uh, complex regional uh, regional dimension there. But, you know, for in terms of Somaliland not achieving recognition, as I said, a lot of it has come down to kind of opposition from the other African states that fear kind of setting a precedent of of kind of states breaking away and stuff. Um, You know, the two recent examples within the African context of of kind of states achieving independence, uh, breaking away from larger states would be South Sudan and Eritrea. But in both of those cases, there was a degree of kind of internal consensus, even though in the case of Sudan, it was kind of to some extent forced by, you know, the U.S. and Europeans and others. But essentially that as part of the 2005 Comprehensive Peace Agreement in that country, there was, um, you know, the Sudanese government allowed for a kind of, um, you know, uh, an internal referendum that would determine, okay, do the people want to stay in Sudan or do the Southerners want to break apart and form their own country? Kind of similar with, with Ethiopia and Eritrea, what happened in the early 90s. So I think the position of a lot of actually international actors, they've kind of realized that, okay, Somaliland is de facto independent. Somalia's, you know, its, it's politics are very turbulent and stuff. But because there are these kind of there are these institutional and, and international norms, particularly in the African context, about we don't recognize breakaway regions that don't also have kind of the internal consensus from the larger state to break away. And so I think the thinking or the hope had been for a while that there would be these these negotiations, these dialogues between the government in Somalia and the government in Somaliland, and that 
they would reach some sort of solution that would provide some clarity kind of moving forward. But the the key was that, you know, for, for a country like the U.S. or the U.K. or others, I think, that they didn't want to be seen as just, um, you know, as, as recognizing a breakaway province that the uh, central, you know, that the, the kind of larger state um, uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't recognize, right? Because that would create a bad precedent. Potentially, people would see this as kind of the neocolonial redrawing of boundaries and such. And so it was very important for countries like US, UK, and others that, um, you know, if they were eventually going to recognize Somaliland, that it would be kind of a Somali-led process um, so they would just be, you know, oh, well, we're just recognizing the reality on the ground and what the, what the, the Somalis and Somalilanders have already agreed to. So I think that's kind of the, the institutional or the, the kind of, um, you know, the maybe the more cautious approach, I would say, um, from international, uh, you know, actors in recent years. And then again, grounded in that concern by, uh, you know, from the, from the majority of African states about, um, you know, the risks of, of recognizing, uh, you know, countries, uh, breakaway regions um, within Africa, again, given the, you know, the history of how uh, of state formation essentially on the continent. In terms of, of you know, what explains the relative, uh, you know, the kind of stability of Somaliland as opposed to southern Somalia and the security challenges in the latter, that's a very big complex question. Um, I think that, um, you know, one, I, I don't think that this is a, a monocausal uh, explanation, but I think that one interesting and important um, point in kind of distinguishing between the two is that um, Somaliland for a long time, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, when it was building up its own uh, kind of institutions and stuff, it didn't have uh, really any support from kind of uh, Western partners from, you know, UN, international agencies, all of that. Um, it really kind of did have to, you know, I mean, to use a bit of a hackneyed phrase, kind of pull itself up from its bootstraps. But it, it did avoid, I think, to some extent, some of the dependency issues that have, um, you know, kind of uh, bedeviled countries like Somalia or South Sudan or these other kind of very weak African states that kind of are just kind of propped up uh, by, you know, international, um, you know, uh, kind of donors and stuff year in, year out. I think, though, that's also not quite being... You know, that, that certainly doesn't explain everything, and it's not being entirely fair to what's happened in Somalia either, because while certainly the issues of dependency and, you know, kind of aid dependency and stuff have been a very serious issue in, in southern Somalia, it's also just the fact that uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, that the major kind of um, uh, security threat, right, that al-Shabaab has consolidated its influence in southern and central Somalia as opposed to northern mm -hmm. Somalia. Um, so even within uh, the, the the parts of Somalia that, you know, have not uh, declared secession, so like in Puntland State, for example, in northern Somalia, which borders Somaliland, this is a highly autonomous state um, that uh, is in some ways, you know, more uh, kind of a bit more stable than southern Somalia. Um, they've not declared independence. They're still, you know, they recognize the Somali federal government, even though they have a very kind of um, hot and cold relationship with them. But, um, you know, the Al-Shabaab also doesn't have a very strong presence in Puntland. So part of it is just a kind of question of where the group has has found kind of fertile ground to expand. Um, and then also, I think that, you know, there's an argument to be made that, you know, beyond this question of kind of the the dependency on aid or, or foreign assistance, the, the interventions by regional militaries, you know, first the Ethiopians in 2006, um, you know, this was a, an invasion that the Ethiopians launched with kind of tacit um, U.S. support to uh, mm -hmm. attack Islamist militants, but it ended up really kind of catalyzing al-Shabaab. Um, and that invasion, again, was largely targeted in, in kind of the, the, the southern and central parts of the country. So, you know, the repeated kind of histories of, of intervention, and then you've had in recent years the Kenyans and the Ethiopians both kind of operating within the, the AU peace enforcement mission, formerly known as AMISOM, now known as ATMIS. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a mission that's doing very good, very important work, but you also have kind of like political considerations and stuff at play where you have, you know, Ethiopians and Kenyans sometimes competing with each other via proxy for influence mm -hmm. in southern mm -hmm. Somalia. So it's, you know, I mean, the, these kind of issues are a bit, um, I guess there's a bit of a feedback loop, right? Uh, there's, they're a bit endogenous because, you know, Somalia's the, the kind of underlying political conditions in the 90s and early 2000s 
maybe made Somalia more of a fertile ground for a group like Al-Shabaab than in northern Somalia, mm -hmm. even though actually many mm -hmm. of Al-Shabaab's early leaders were actually members of the Isaka clan. So many of them actually hailed from Somaliland. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, then you have, okay, so the presence of Al-Shabaab brings in foreign powers, foreign intervention, uh, you know, more foreign assistance to combat insecurity and stuff. But then that kind of creates mm -hmm. this feedback loop of dependency on the foreign powers. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it prevents the Somali state institutions from maybe building themselves up. It creates issues where the foreign powers can sometimes be engaged in proxy conflicts or in the case of Ethiopia's mm -hmm. initial invasion in 2006, just the kind of the the the, the catalyzing of, of Somali mm -hmm. national sentiment, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. was something that Al-Shabaab was really able to exploit. So they, you know, there, there ends up being a bit of a feedback loop. Hmm. There, there seems to be a, a lot of interest behind. But before I come to to that side of things, I, I wanted to quickly uh, expatiate on. So for the longest, uh, Somaliland didn't have you know we had a relative kind of like stability. But in the last year, from what you said, there's been some rupture. So what I did the the first question would be, what what is behind this uh, rupture? What is behind this you know recent uh, change? And then I, I guess the, the next question will be um, why? Because when you had other states that, that were uh, trying to break away or, you know, this other this is the rebellious state, but wh why did Somaliland succeed in, in, in Bida? Why did it do with, with little uh, violence or little need for, or little or no violence in, in a peaceful way compared to other places in Africa where, like you talk about uh, Ambazonia in, in Cameroon, you talk about Biafra or IPOB, you know, these other places. What, what is different with, with Somaliland? Well, I mean, I, I think I can answer that second question maybe uh, first pretty quickly. I mean, mm. at the moment when Somaliland declared or redeclared its independence from Somalia, the Somali state just didn't exist. There was no force there that was really going to fight them and prevent them from doing that. So that's very different from what you're seeing in Amazonia or with kind of the neo-Biafran secessionist movements or even, of course, the original Biafran War, uh, you know, in 1967, where, where you had a very strong, you know, relatively a strong state with a military um, that was, you know, going to be able to put up a challenge to any claims or any attempts at, at separate uh, separation by by the local population whereas in somalia that that simply didn't exist at the time and so somaliland uh you know they were already like i said the snm was already kind of the de facto um you know in control of, of much of that region in northern somalia so it was very easy for them to just you know declare independence and given the kind of political fractiousness of somalia and those challenges with al-shabaab and everything um over the past 30 years the somali state has not been able to kind of develop the capacity and the military forces and such to actually be able to kind of uh, attempt to reassert uh, uh, sovereignty, reassert authority over, over Somaliland. Um, in terms of kind of what explains what, what's happened uh, in Somaliland recently, I mean, I guess so as, as some context, right, there's, there's kind of a, a, a broader kind of nationwide um, there are signs that like Somaliland's democratic credentials, which had really been a big selling point for the country's recognition, um, that those are not quite as strong as, as they, you know, that they led on. So particularly under this current president, Musebihi, there's been um, much more kind of an escalation in the harassment and, and detention of journalists, of critical voices and stuff. And then notably these, these delays in, in elections, which the Somaliland government, you know, they, they claim a kind of a, a logistical and technical issues with the way that the parties are registered and stuff. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is, it, it's something, it, it's been a very contentious decision on, on Behe's part to postpone the elections. And so that's led to a lot of uh, very vocal kind of opposition uh, voices, louder voices within Somaliland, um, and some of which have been kind of repressed pretty violently from the state, and some of which have also in turn actually taken up arms. So there's actually been some kind of increased clan fighting uh, over the past year within kind of the, the political core, you know, within the larger Isak clan of, of Somaliland. But the kind of the the biggest, I would say, shock to the you know to Somaliland um, has been this conflict that erupted in the eastern part of the country. Um, so around the region, uh, particularly around the city of Las Anod and, and kind of the 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 surrounding states, those are referred to as Sultan Aganaim. So this is the area. This is kind of the eastern flank of Somaliland, the 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 area that it kind of sees as its buffer zone with the Republic of Somalia, right? Because it, it claims its eastern border essentially um, uh, with Puntland State. Um, and so Somaliland has never attempted to, you know, claim 
that uh, Southern Somalia or Central Somalia are part of its territory, but it has always made a claim up to, uh, you know, uh, kind of not far from the Puntland state capital of Garwe. And that area, that Eastern area has actually, in fact, historically been much more contested. So the clan that lives there, the principal clan that lives there, the Dulbahante, um, you know, have kind of a, a turbulent history with the Isak, sometimes cooperating, but sometimes fighting. And that clan was never kind of as enthusiastic about the uh, secession, about the separation um, uh, of that kind of that was declared by the SNM in the 1990s. Um, and so as a result, that kind of eastern area between Somaliland and Puntland has actually kind of changed hands a few times uh, over the past uh, you know, several decades. Mm -hmm. But since 2007, uh, due to kind of infighting within Puntland itself and particularly infighting within the Dulbahante clan, the Somaliland was able to occupy Las Amod and a number of other kind of towns around it up to around 2011. And so they were able to establish pretty strong de facto authority. Um, and so, again, this is a contested region, uh, but Somaliland, you know, was was the de facto authority there. They uh, they administered it. They governed it. All of that. Um, the problem is, though, so in, in kind of the last few years, um, that uh, members of the Dulbahante clan, residents of Las Amod, and then a lot of Dulbahante from the diaspora and stuff, were had kind of uh, been been raising concern about uh, the growing repression um, that's the Somaliland, <clears throat> sort of growing repression from the Somaliland government in those kind of disputed territories. They're also talking about the uh, you know kind of uh, grievances around socioeconomic neglect, feelings that kind of the development and everything was was concentrated in kind of central Somaliland where the Isak clan is is kind of resides and stuff that the Dulbahante didn't get as many good positions in government, that they didn't get as much aid. You know, NGOs for a long time weren't really allowed to operate uh, by the Somaliland mm -hmm. authorities in that eastern SSC region because they said, you know, because of insecurity. So what happened was that after the assassination of one prominent Dulbahante, who was a member of the Somaliland opposition in the city of Las Anod in December 2022, you had these large-scale protests break out in the city. And then it kind of became a, a you know an, an escalatory situation where the Somaliland authorities repressed those protests very violently. Then the protesters, you know, drawing on their clan connections and stuff, started arming themselves. And essentially, you had a full-blown clan war breaking out by February of 2023. So, mm. I when I was in Somalia uh, last year and, and throughout most of June of 2023, um, I managed to get up to Las Anod for about a week and spend some time mm -hmm. with uh, what was then kind of the nascent SSC administration. So these were essentially kind of rebels or kind of a collection of militias and stuff, a popular uprising, kind of a lot of ways to look at them. But essentially what they were was a nascent uh, political administration that by that point had clearly, because of the protests and the conflict had escalated and everything, they were clearly uh, rejecting, um, you know, not just they didn't just have kind of one or two grievances against Somaliland, but their stated kind of demands and their agenda was very much clearly rejecting Somaliland as a kind of nation state. So they were rejecting secession. They were saying, we want to rejoin Somalia, but to do so as an autonomous political unit, kind of like Puntland. So they were actually, they were kind of arguing for their own or fighting for their own autonomy, but within, under the auspices of the Somali state while rejecting Somaliland and the whole uh, kind of independence separatist project. Um, mm. And so when I was in, you know, Las Anod, what I saw was that uh, the conflict had become very heavily armed, very militarized. There was, it was essentially a frozen conflict, though, with some very kind of ossified front lines and the Somalilanders and SSC would be shooting across kind of day in, mm. day out with, you know, artillery, snipers, mortars, stuff like that. Um, and the SSC itself, because of kind of the ad hoc nature in which it was formed, it was very, in some ways, it seemed kind of, you know, quite disorganized because the Dulbahante, like all Somali clans, they're really, you know, it's, it's, there are all these different sub clans and stuff beneath them. Um, hmm. And so what you had is a lot of different militias forming along their own very local parochial sub clan lines uh, and then kind of fighting under the same banner, but there wasn't really uh, kind of coordinated command and control and stuff. And so at mm. the whole, at the same time, you know, since this conflict had broken out in February 2023, Somaliland, you know, kind of a whole war of narratives had also been breaking out as well. Um, because Somaliland's kind of a big part of its claim to independence and stuff was this idea that it's a democratic state, that it's stable, that it can govern its territory, that it controls its borders, essentially being all the things that Somalia is not. So when you had mm. this, you know, this clan uprising, which really was, you know, as kind of I saw it, it, it really was a you know, a, a popular uprising, elite led, a big role for people from the diaspora, absolutely. But I think, you know, it was no less uh, kind of um, 
genuine as a clan uprising than what you see with a lot of the clan conflict in southern Somalia. It was a pretty clear identitarian conflict. Yeah. Um, but Somaliland was trying very hard to kind of say, to I was gonna, what I was, they were doing okay. yeah, pardon. Sorry, what was that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, go on, go on, go on. If you have not finished at all, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, to uh, uh, what I was gonna the, go on, go on, go, ahead. go on. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I was gonna quickly just mention what you said, like, I was waiting for it. Uh, you, you mentioned something about. Uh, trying to distinguish between that kind of uprising to other places, where uh, in terms of like the scale, or you know, did I did I hear you right? Is that what you're trying to say in terms of like it's not to the scale of you know, other climbs? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, I was kind of uh, you know, without even stating necessarily what the small land position was, I was kind of you <laughs> know uh, refuting it a bit because they were essentially framing this as a limited counterterrorism operation. They were saying that Al Shabaab and ISIS, you know, these groups from southern Somalia, have infiltrated Somaliland. They're trying to destabilize <laughs> it, right? Because they were uh, they were very desperate to kind of maintain this narrative that. Somaliland, that there's political consensus, that the the state is in control, that it's a democracy, all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I went there and I mean, if, if those guys had really been as as much Al-Shabaab as Somaliland had said, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have left mm. with my head on my shoulders. Um, mm, and mm. so, you know, my view is more just that this was, you know, whatever one's view about Somaliland, whatever one's view about, you know, the SSC. And in my own writing on it, I, I wrote quite a lot about kind of the internal political con contradictions of the movement. But it did it did mm. seem very much like a, you know, a, a genuine, this clan, you know, wanted to break away from the Somaliland state. Mm. So it was a much, in that mm. sense, it was a much larger challenge to Somaliland's uh, attempts at independence and and quest for recognition because mm. it wasn't just a limited counterterrorism issue. This really was a question of Somaliland had lost legitimacy among this this mm. you know significant faction of the population. A minority clan mm. is still a very populous one that uh, you know inhabits mm. a lot of territory in the east. Mm. So mm. just to kind of quickly get ahead, I mean the you know when, when I visited in June and then was writing about this over the summer, it still kind of seemed very uncertain how this conflict would end. Like I said, the things had been kind of stalemated pretty quickly. Um, and so it, it seemed like, you know, there, there might be a pretty decent chance, especially given the SSC and its own uh, kind of internal political, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, issues and such that, um, you know, maybe, maybe that the SSC would kind of crack under the pressure and Somaliland would reoccupy mm -hmm. the territory. But instead, what happened was that in late August, August 25th of last year, to be specific, uh, the SSC forces just, you know, they became a bit more coordinated, it seems, um, at the same time that the Somaliland military was kind of suffering from its own internal clan tensions, due mm. in part to some of those mm. larger political issues I mentioned earlier about opposition to Behe, concern about the elections, grievances of specific sub-clans of the ISAC against others. And so what happened is essentially the SSC uh, in one day, just kind of routed the Somaliland army and advanced about 100 kilometers to their kind of westernmost edges of what they would claim as their territory, the Dulbahanta territory. Um, mm. So essentially in a day, Somaliland lost quite a significant chunk of the territory that it claims authority over. Um, mm. And so what you have, and, and that was that was in August, uh, the military was was very kind of divided and heavily routed and stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of equipment and soldiers were captured and such. In the past six months, you know, the, the situation hasn't really changed. There's kind of been this, this Cold War, you know, informal front line between the SSC and then Somaliland. Mm. But in effect, what that means is that Somaliland's borders have just shrunk quite a bit. And its military mm. has been shown to be much weaker and more prone to the sorts of kind of clan, uh, you know, uh, factionalism and, and kind of internal uh, fighting mm. that we've always known that kind of Somalia has suffered from those issues, but it now seems that Somaliland's suffering from them as well. And so it's mm. kind of a big question about, okay, where do things go from here? The SSC has already effectively gained uh, recognition from the Somali government. So their kind of project now is, you know, to, to rejoin Somalia as kind of an autonomous federal entity. Of course, Somaliland, though, still claims that territory. And now you have mm -hmm. the MOU, um, which, you know, one reason that I think, uh, you know, so the MOU is, is very, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lightning rod, you know, within Somali politics and even mm -hmm. to, to a large extent regionally. And there are a number mm -hmm. of reasons for that. 
you know, partially it's that despite all the internal divisions within Somali society, Somali nationalism and even Somali irredentism remains a very powerful political force. Um, hmm. It's also the fact, though, so so any, you know, for those who are not Somalilanders, the notion of a country recognizing Somaliland, uh, recognizing hmm. what they see as a breakaway province um, is, hmm. is obviously, you know, that's a, a red line for many of them. But then the fact that yeah. Ethiopia is the one that's doing it as well, and that Ethiopia is getting a military base, this kind of harkens mm -hmm. back to, again, the, the long history of conflict between first the Ethiopian empires and the Somali, uh, you know, different, the, the Somali people, and then kind of more recently, yeah. some of the, the more controversial, um, you know, kind of unilateral military operations and stuff, and such as the 2006 invasion, yeah. uh, there's, you know, other operations as well earlier in the 90s, where Ethiopia would cross in and conduct operations yeah. and occupy territory in Somalia. So there's a very fraught history between those two countries. Somalis see Ethiopians, you know, skeptically at best, uh, and you know, as foreign invaders at worst. I mean, this is the the propaganda of Al Shabaab paints Ethiopia mm -hmm. as essentially, you know, a U.S. and Israel-backed Christian empire that's uh, taking mm -hmm. over, you know, the Muslim lands of Somalia. And mm -hmm. so this, when when there's anger at Ethiopia, you know, groups like Al Shabaab try to try to capitalize on that. But so I would say that you know one reason why this MOU has been so uh, so sensitive and such a kind of rallying call or, or led to this kind of rallying cry among Somalis, um, you know, both within the country and the diaspora, it's you know one this idea of recognizing Somaliland, two the idea that Ethiopia yeah. would get uh, you know uh, would would annex you know in their terms um, would would annex yeah. kind of land for a military base on Somali soil. But I think a lot of it also goes back to what happened last August in, in, in and around mm. Las Anod, where mm. for the first time, it, you know, it, maybe in 30 years, Somalis can look at Somaliland and say, oh, no, like all these things that they were saying about how they're better and more stable and democratic and, you know, mm. that they just have de facto authority that like it or not, you know, the Somalilanders would say, well, you know, we're the de facto authority here. You guys can't come up and touch us. But now, mm. you know, that's starting to crumble as well. So I think that Somalis mm. also see, you know, for the first time that Somaliland's not so strong, that they don't have this uh, kind of de facto independence that they've been, mm. um, you know, that that they've they've been kind of using Projected, to, to yeah. advance their, yeah, yeah the, to advance their, their claims for recognition. And so Somalis also kind of see this as an opportunity that maybe, you know, they can all rally together in opposition to this MOU or whatever. They can scuttle the deal and that maybe Somaliland is actually, um, you know, uh, vulnerable and, and, you know, will be uh, reincorporated back into Somalia. Um, personally, just one last point. I don't think that that's very likely. I think that despite all the issues that Somaliland has had, which include losing about one third of its claimed territory, um, mm. I also think that there's, you know, my own understanding of this is that there's enough, uh, you know, strong, there's enough support for independence among key constituencies, particularly the ISAC clan. Um, mm. And even, you know, all the internal divides among the ISAC over the presidency and that stuff, I think there's still enough kind of support for independence and rejection of reunification with Somalia. So then we're in this so kind of weird position where I think both countries are taking, you know, um, maximalist yeah. claims essentially. Yeah. So where are we go. Before I come to the last, before I come to the last question, the the two things I'd like to just uh, briefly address. So what one is, um, this, you know, internal crisis within the Somaliland. So do we see, uh, you know, if you look at places like the the north, uh, northeast of Nigeria, and look at you know issues such as Boko Haram. This didn't start off as as um, having uh they had more local it was more local it was more internal until you know maybe could have all the external forces coming to you know what some researchers have called you call them conflict merchants communists so do we see a case where either Somalia either Ashabab either uh, can take advantage of this uh, problem within Somaliland to, to create further uh, disruption, to take advantage of that, to, to, to further plunge it in, into... The, is that a possibility? And the, the, the big question is, we've seen that, that recognition or whatever it is, is, is not politically neutral. You know, they, 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 there's some underlying um, strategic interest guiding all these all this interests, you know. What what is the interest, or what interest does does Somaliland not project that same interest to 
if you know if I, if I if I just say Western world rather than say international community, if I say the Western nations, does it project like like for instance the country like Djibouti, the kind of interest it projects, does Somalia not project that kind of um interest to them? Yeah, I mean, I think if I understand you correctly, there are kind of two questions uh, there. Uh, first, regarding yeah. kind of Western interests. I mean, Somaliland, absolutely, in addition to its claims, uh, you know, about, you know, being a, a healthy democracy and all that stuff, a lot of its kind of a big selling point is its, you know, prime geographic real estate stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the context to the MOU. Ethiopia is not... Uh, you know, Ethiopia is not, uh, if it is going to recognize Somaliland, it's not going to do it out of any kind of benevolent, you know, altruistic uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. If anything, you know, with the current problems that Abiy Ahmed is facing, Ethiopia faces a strong incentive not to recognize uh, any, you know, potential, what, what could be seen as a breakaway region, right? The reason Ethiopia is doing this is because it's made a shrewd calculus. Somaliland has great, you know, geography, great real estate, right? It's right there, uh, kind of, you know, around the, the Bab el-Mendeb, the Red Sea, Gulf of Aden, all of that stuff. And so Somaliland, you know, the Berber report is one of the largest in, in East Africa. It's been built up by uh, DP, uh, DP World, so that's the, the Emirati company. Um, so there's a lot of, I mean, if you want to talk about foreign interests and stuff, there's a lot of speculation that Ethi that the Emiratis have actually kind of brokered or played an important role in this deal because the Emiratis are very close with both Abi and also the Somaliland administration. Um, so, you know, there's absolutely a, a geostrategic calculus there. And, and among, so like coming from, you know, the, the U.S. Uh, kind of foreign policy think tank, you know, community to some extent, um, you know, a lot of the debates that we see among the, the Africa specialists and stuff, um, you know, a lot of those who advocate for a stronger relationship with Somaliland or, or recognition or stuff, um, you know, point to those very valid kind of geographic, um, you know, considerations that Somaliland, you know, mm -hmm. if we're if we're coming in and we're making a good relationship uh, or having a good relationship with this country, um, you know, that gives us, you know, uh, potentially access to ports, naval bases, um, obviously a key uh, a chokehold of global commerce, as we've seen recently with the Houthi mm -hmm. attacks. So again, those attacks have kind mm -hmm. of re um you know reignited or, or or kind of brought out those those arguments again the issue is though that you still can't separate what's happening internally in somaliland with those larger questions about the the great real estate right i mean yemen also right southwest yemen also has great uh you know geographic geostrategic real estate or whatever um no one in washington is is seriously arguing about partnering with some you know local uh criminal gang in aden or whatever to try to build a port mm. there um mm. because we know that you know the, the situation in yemen is so volatile that uh, it's it's just not a safe place for investment right now so mm. if you know somaliland's kind of the the value of its real estate is is immeasurably uh or inextricably <clears throat> linked to its own internal stability so if something like you know and you know frankly the last unknown conflict the ssc stuff like there is maybe a way in which this actually just gets kind of, uh, you know, fizzles out or gets mediated to some extent, because Somaliland can still actually mm. control the real important ports that it wants. Those are outside of SSC territory. The problem, mm. though, is that there's also a territory in Western Somaliland on the border with Djibouti. That's also an mm. area occupied by a minority clan. Um, this is the mm. Algal region. And those people, a number of them, it seems there are some clan militias there that have also kind of... Um, you know, spoken out in opposition to the MOU. And so maybe we're looking at another similar kind of Lasano type conflict happening in Western Somaliland, this time being on the border with Djibouti. So if the Djiboutians decide to get involved one way or another, you know, that's potentially, they have some uh, some kind of ease of access there. So I mm -hmm. think that the, you know, it's still very much in, you know, I think Somaliland needs to be able to kind of uh, uh kind of reassert its its and kind of like you know build up that political consensus again and, and reassert mm -hmm. its claims to a degree of stability before it can make any claims of of you know the value of its of its geographic uh kind of real estate um in terms of the uh um i think your other questions about al-shabaab yeah, I mean, you know, Al Shabaab are they're agents of chaos, right? Um, they're going to go uh, wherever they can, um, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. and they look for, yeah, they they look for for conflicts that are already existing. I mean, that's that's largely how they expand and how they grow, right? So when they see two, yeah. two communities in conflict, they can come in and either they can choose to support one community against another, and then they get an ally mm -hmm. in that, or they can try to mediate the conflict and kind of establish themselves as a um, 
you know, a sort of a, a power broker, if you will. Hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, that that was definitely a concern around Los Anod. It, it was tough kind of analytically to talk about the issue of Al-Shabaab and the Las Anod conflict because of this kind of very vitriolic media war between and the kind of the war of narratives between Somaliland and the Somalis, where you had the Somaliland authorities kind of asserting repeatedly without providing evidence that the entire Las Anod uprising was just Al-Shabaab, that these were all jihadists, right? Because they were trying to get international support for what they were doing. Mm. Um, mm. And again, I, I've said, you know, I don't, that that's certainly not my assessment. I think that the Somalilanders, it's pretty clear that they were overstating their case. Um, but it's also the case that a conflict like that, if it goes on for too long, you know, a group like Al-Shabaab will try to exploit that uh, one way or another. So I don't think it's in anyone's interest to see, you know, to see uh, uh, more of Somaliland be destabilized or anything. Um, and, you know, I wrote a, an article with a colleague about a week ago about this MOU. And, you know, we essentially we we focused a lot of our attention on, on Al-Shabaab's response. And what we're yeah. seeing so far is that Al-Shabaab is certainly kind of gearing up to probably hit uh, Ethiopia and Somaliland, that they're trying to kind of, um, you know, they're using this MOU as an opportunity to try to win the support of more of the Somali public, and that any mm. kind of further destabilization, whether it's via proxy conflict, whether it's via, you know, widespread protests in, say, Somaliland or Ethiopia, that a group like Al-Shabaab is, is going to try to exploit that. Um, so mm. certainly, I think that it's it's a you know, I mean, it, it becomes kind of cliche to say, oh, the Horn of Africa, yeah. you know, it's in a volatile period. Um, yeah. Certainly in the time that I've been following the region uh, as, as an analyst observer, you know, sometimes on the ground, it's always been a very volatile region. You have yeah, Sudan, volatile. Ethiopia, yeah. now this. Um, but certainly I, I think that, um, yeah, you know, the... the yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It, 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 it does present like... The Horn of Africa has always been like that. The, the region has always been mm -hmm. a hot spot. But but if if I ask you one last question, um, mm -hmm. it's a tough one. But what do you project? How do you see, um, how do you see this panning out in terms of you know, what, what do you project? If you just have like a broad overlook, like in conclusion. Honestly, it's <laughs> I'm I'm very hesitant to make any projections. I think one. One key aspect here is, um, you know, the the question of kind of the the unpredictability of um, Abiy Ahmed and of the Ethiopian kind of the, just mm. the Ethiopian state as a whole at the moment is in a relatively precarious moment. You know, I think mm. like it, by some measures, Ethiopia is probably fighting a second civil war right now. Um, it's fighting two massive kind of counterinsurgencies, one against the Amhara militias, others against Oromo. Um, and, uh, you know, that because of the kind of the fault lines of the country and, and such, those those conflicts have the ability to kind of metastasize further. Abi has also shown himself to be kind of a, you know, I mean, he he's he, he he's prone to swings and his policies and his approach and his rhetoric, all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I think that it's that's it's important to recognize that uh, for starters, there is a bit of a wild card here because I think that Ethiopia is the driving force behind this. And if they decide for whatever reason, whether due to internal constraints or something else, um, that they don't want to move ahead with this, then we kind of go back to the status quo ante. Um, assuming this does go ahead, you know, I, I don't I mean, as, as I kind of wrote with my colleague the other day, you know, there's not it's it's quite unlikely, I think, that there would be kind of a big conventional war over this um, just because of the forces involved, you know, uh, and, and the nature of conflict in, in the Horn of Africa. Um, you know, that's uh, like the Somali military is not really, you know, it's not capable of invading Hargeisa. That's mm -hmm. the capital of Somaliland. Right. But likewise, Somaliland isn't really capable of, you know, going in and, and, and annexing bootland i think um if, if they for whatever reason wanted to do that i mean just this just using this as an illustration um but what there is a history of in the horn of africa very long history including in somalia um is kind of different agents using local militias and stuff as proxies and you know there's there's arguably already been some of that in in, in recent years within somalia and, and ethiopia and somaliland um we may be seeing more of that i think uh in in the coming months if this goes ahead so i think that you know rather than some big kind of cataclysmic you know something like 
Sudan, where, you know, all of a sudden just war starts one morning, right? Even though obviously those who were following um, and, and as many Sudanese were kind of warning about for months in advance, you could see the warning signs. But nonetheless, you went from no conflict to a, a pretty big conventional war overnight. I don't really think that's what's happening here. I think what might happen, though, is kind of in the coming months, a gradual escalation of kind of zero-sum, multi-sided conflict via proxies. Um, and so that could also, you know, that involves various domains. So economic, you know, domain as well, you're going to see reduced uh, trade and cooperation. Already the Somalis have been denying um, uh, kind of overflight authorities for Ethiopian Airlines. So, you know, the Ethiopian Airlines has been having trouble flying into Somalia. Um, you know, you could have, I think, reduced counterterrorism cooperation, potentially issues affecting the um, performance of the African Union mission. That's uh, ATMOS mm. um, because of, you know, the disagreements between, say, the Somalis and the Ethiopians. And then, as I said earlier, I think Al-Shabaab is going to look to exploit this. Um, you know, uh, as I wrote in a big kind of report uh Late last year, you know, Al-Shabaab has been looking to expand into Ethiopia for a while. They managed to infiltrate a number of units into the country in uh, July of last, uh, sorry, July of 2022. Mm. And it seems that they've been able to keep up uh, some of that kind of presence there and stuff. And so I think that we could see, you know, Al-Shabaab directing attacks against Ethiopia, um, Somaliland, and certainly Ethiopian forces within Somalia, which are already the target of, of Al-Shabaab attacks, but we could potentially see uh, an escalation um, and kind of a higher tempo of, of such attacks kind of framed as a, as a formal campaign against Ethiopia. Well, Dems, uh, thank you for your very, very deep insight and, you know, for affording us the time today. You're very busy, man, and giving us this this yeah. afternoon to, to speak about this. We really appreciate you today. And I say, you know, thank you and thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. You're welcome. We've just um, listened to um, James Barnett, uh, uh, the research fellow, um, our research fellow in a, in a center and the research fellow at Houston Institute. Uh, James has an extensive, as we can see, extensive uh, experience working uh, in the Horn of Africa, uh, including Somalia, Sudan, and also uh, in Nigeria. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. And um, I would want to encourage you to subscribe follow us follow our youtube channel follow our, uh follow us on spotify on apple and stay tuned for the next episode see you